You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am Robert Smith, your host. Today's guest joins us from Northern California, where she's the marketing director for the Alameda County Fair. She is Angel Moore. Angel, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to see your face. Yeah. And thanks for having me. Yeah, I kind of, it's, it's, in, everybody's been saying that. I, I'm starting to not believe it, but I guess if we can exist in a world where people say it's great to see my face, then it must be an okay world because I didn't think that would ever happen. <laughs> but, it, you know, we were talking before the show, it, it's been, um, it's been a really rough year and, and I'm finding being an extrovert and liking being social and, and physical contact with people and hugging and high-fiving and, this has been a bit of a struggle. So I'm glad that I've been able to do this podcast and, and connect. And I hope the listeners are getting some value, um, kind of hearing voices. If, if they're looking at uh, a video, you know, clip of this, hopefully they get to go, Oh, that's angel. And for those of you who, uh, you know, you're listening right now, we're on zoom and, and I'm sitting in my office here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's about 35 degrees. So I've got my beanie on Angel has got one of these uh, digital backgrounds pumped in on her Zoom of some island in a palm tree somewhere, and it's making me a little jealous. So there's a story to it. We, so it's hard to say we've been working so hard during uh, this pandemic, but we've really been working so hard. And so in December, my husband and I got this incredible opportunity to go to go to Turks and Caicos. And we couldn't say no. Like it was just such an opportunity that we that we're going. Like we've never had passports, okay? Like seriously. And so we had to rush our passports. We had a deep, rushing a passport in a pandemic. That was fun. And so this is how I'm getting through the next you know month is by having this background on. So this on December, my- it wasn't last December. It's this no, December coming up. You're dishing. We're going December first. Wow. Now, okay, so that adds an interesting twist to this uh, discussion. Are there restrictions in Turks and Caicos, or are they just like, come on down, let's have a party? So they are come on down, but before you board your plane to get to Turks, you have to have a uh, COVID test that was uh, performed in the last five days, and you have to show proof of that test uh, before boarding, and then you're welcome to come. And then when you leave and you get back home, you have to take a, another COVID test and you have to send it back to them to say, no, I still don't have COVID. You also have to purchase um, medical insurance that covers COVID. It's like this special travel insurance. Okay. So and it's, it's not expensive. Um, I think for both of us, it's like $85, but it's, yeah, it's definitely interesting. My niece just went to Hawaii and they also had to get COVID tested. So the the government down there in Turks and Caicos is requiring a follow-up. That's because I was going to say, that's great that you were negative at the, the you know, you, you take it before, you know, two days, three days before you get on the plane, but that doesn't mean you weren't exposed four days earlier and the viral load just has not gotten big enough to be detected yet. You know, like with, with President Trump, he was negative regularly until he wasn't. And that's just how it is. So that's good. Interesting that they're doing a follow-up. Now, once you're back in the United States, do you have, what's California's regulations? Are you going to have to quarantine for 14 days? No, I think once I get that test, I'll be, I'll be fine. Okay. As long as I don't have symptoms. And then obviously if I have symptoms, then I would stay home. 
you know, I'd go get tested and then I would right. quarantine. Well, and I mean, the, the rough thing that we've seen all year long with this thing is the symptoms are look like any other head cold or sinus infection, or that's what they start as, you know? And so it's really, um, you know, if you come back and you've just got, you know, just from traveling a little bit of a, oh man, I feel a little tired. I'm like, you know, a little sinusy, a little scratchy throat. Do you start to panic at that point and go, oh my God, I have to go get a test. Gosh, you know, I saw my son get a test and I'm like, that's the last thing I want to do is get a test. So have you not done one? No, I haven't done one. I've been pretty, pretty good. My son um, got strep throat and he we were for precautionary purposes because now they're allowing, I have a 16 year old who's playing sports in high school. He's a football player and they're allowing them to have camps and stay in a social co their, their social cohort, or it started with six kids. Now it's up to 12, but he got strep throat and I could not in good conscience send him to football practice. Oh, of course not. And immediately took him to go get a COVID test. And, you know, we were super lucky. We got the test back in less than 24 hours. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. I had, um, after, you know, one of the little silver linings for me this year has been that I finally, with all the schedules, all, all the contracts canceled, I had time to repair my broken ankle that I broke like, um, I don't know, 10 years ago that never fully healed. And the day before, two days before the test I had, or the surgery, I had to go get COVID tested. And I'll tell you what, for some, for you who hasn't had it, I don't know how your son reacted to it. Um, but I can tell you, I would rather have 10 COVID tests than one strep culture. Really? Yes. He had that, you know, his eyes started watering. Yep. And, but he was, he was okay, but he was like, that was terrible. I, I'll tell you this, the, while they're doing it, it feels, um, it feels like it took them like three or four seconds for them to do mine. She, the gal's like, okay, tilt your head back. She sticks the little Q-tip in your nose. She turns it like three times and pulls it out. And you think, oh my God, I'm just going to die. This is all, but no, she does it. And the most it felt like was, you know, some mornings when you wake up and you got a little sinusy, you kind of had that little burn behind your, your, uh, in your sinuses that lasted for mildly for about five minutes after it. And I was, that was it. My eyes watered a little, but if you compare that to the strep culture where they jab that Q-tip in the back of your throat and you just want to vomit everywhere, I I'm telling you, you'll, you'll get it done. And you'll be like, why was I even worried about that? My girlfriends have recently had them and a couple of them had to perform their own COVID tests. Like they give them the packet and they got to swab themselves. I don't know if I'd be worried if I, I mean, I could do it, but I'd be worried if I did it correctly. Like, did I shove it back far? I mean, it feels a little weird when all of a sudden you feel something tickling on the back of your sinuses and you're like, that's odd. I've never had that sensation. And before you can even have that thought, they're pulling the thing out and it's over. So you'll be good. You'll be okay. Good. Okay. All right. Anyhow, and I hope you enjoyed Turks and Caicos. That's uh, on our bucket list of dive destinations. So one of these days, Sarah and I are going to maybe probably once Nate's old enough to scuba dive, we'll take him down there and we'll uh, scuba dive a, a nice vacation away. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I can't wait. So Angel, I'm glad you could come on the show today. Um, give For the folks who don't know you, can you give them a little bit of background on how you came to be with the Alameda County Fair? You know, and, and I often tell this story is um, I, I don't know if you know this, but I was a stay at home mom for like nine years mm -hmm. and I needed a, my husband told me we needed insurance benefits because he was working on contract and we had three little boys. So um, I applied for a job here as their front desk receptionist. 
And I um, got the job. And when the fairground called me to tell me they gave me the job, I didn't want to call them back. <laughs> and so my husband's like, you know, the fairgrounds called you again. And I'm like, really? What do you think they wanted? And he was like, what do you think they wanted? Like, you better. And I'm like, do I have to call them back? And he was like, yes, our sons need medical benefits. So I came here to work. And it, it's so funny that like I was the receptionist, but I thought I was the CEO and I was like owning it. I was like, I'm going to give people the best customer service. And, you know, I've been fortunate to work for some really great bosses along the way who saw things in me before I saw them in myself. And so, you know, I had a couple of bosses that try this, let's try to come into marketing and see how that goes. Oh, it went great. Let's stay in marketing, you know, and then I, I got, you know, promoted as I went along. And luckily now I, you know, I oversee the marketing team. I oversee the sponsorship. I oversee year round events um, and off track betting, which is a, uh, you know, horse racing. Yep. Um, so, so I'm pretty fortunate that I've, I've learned from some great people and I've had some great opportunities present themselves and, you know, I'm, I'm always one to jump at more. So that's us- how I landed here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the fair. When does it typically run? How long is it? What's your attendance? That kind of information. So our fair is typically the third week in June about. So so mid to late June. And we end typically the weekend after 4th of July. But it really depends on how the, you know, um, the calendar falls, how the racing calendar falls, because we have live racing at our fair. Um, so that's typically when we fall. We have about 450 to 500,000 guests that visit us over 18 days. Um, so we, we get a pretty good amount of people. We fall over 4th of July weekend, so we always have a great fireworks event. Um, we have nightly concerts, and then we do things typically, um, although we're, we're reevaluating that going forward in terms of action sports. So we typically have a monster trucks, a demolition derby, an extreme rodeo. Um, we you know, we have a great livestock auction and 4-H program here. So yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty big. And so you are, you're more than just the fair. You are a year-round events facility. Absolutely. So we do about 260 additional public and private events. Um, some of our, our largest events are like the Good Guys um, Hot Rod Car Show. Uh, we also do the Scottish Games, so the Caledonian Club, which is is a very, very large, um, I think the largest in North America, um, Scottish Games and Gathering. We also do night market events, which have come to us in the past two to three years, but they're like a big foodie event. And so we have food trucks that come up from like San Diego and Orange County. Um, and they and, th- and those events pull in like 60 to 70,000 people in a weekend. Um we do, you know, baby showers and weddings and funerals and doll shows and spa shows and RV shows. So we're kind of all, all over the place in terms of what we have going on for those 260 events. Now, you also, those are, you know, events where um, you guys, I assume, run some of, some of them. And then I'm assuming you rent grounds out to other producers who produce their own event on your grounds. So pre-COVID... We put on the fair and our live horse race meet. Got it. Post COVID, we put on drive-in movies. Uh, we put on drive-in concerts. So we have really become a, a big promoter within our own facility during COVID. Got it. 
Um, but you also, you benefit your communities in other ways. And not only do you provide events and, and of course, pre COVID, you know, you had producers who would come in on RV boat shows, all that typical kinds of things we have on our grounds across the country. Um, but before we started recording, you were talking about, you know, emergency staging for Cal fire. Um, can you talk a bit about that and how you, your grounds benefit your community? Absolutely. Um, you know, even, even during our annual fair, like many other fairs, we do things to benefit the community in terms of giving literally over 100,000 tickets to kids to come to the fair because we want every kid in Alameda County to have the opportunity to show up. We um, do food drives for our local humane society. So we do pet food drives. We do th you know things of that nature when the fair is happening. But when the fair is not happening um, this year, you know, during the California fires, it's like you can't turn on the news without the, some part of the state being on fire. Um, we serve, we're serving or served as a base camp for Cal Fire. So what that meant for us is literally hundreds of trucks. I think we had 1,200 firefighters here on grounds from all over the country and the world. We actually had a team come up from Australia to get trained. Um, and so they came in, um, they stayed, they cooked, they met, and they went out and fought fires every single day for a month. Um, in addition to that, we had PG&E um, out out here. Um, they were doing that's our that's our Pacific Gas and Electric. Um, they they were going out and they were trimming trees and and trying to assist with with fire mitigation. But we also had COVID testing, so we still have COVID testing here right now. Um, and it's a drive-through COVID testing. And then this year we're also serving, you know, we're in, we're in that Bay area. We're about 40 minutes east of San Francisco. And oftentimes um, what our area is, is people see it as being very affluent, but what people don't see is that we do have, you know, a, um, we do have, you know, families in need. And so this year we're serving as a food bank two days a week. So every Tuesday and every Thursday, um, serving our community, we see probably about seven to 800 cars a day that come through that feed about 1,500 people. And so that um, just seeing that the need in our community, yep. uh, when people often don't think it's there, but you know it is, um, seeing that need being filled it has been, um, for me, just super rewarding just to know that, that we're helping them. You know? Yeah, and the the yeah, food, the food insecurity early on when this thing hit was was re very real. I mean, um, I have a great deal of empathy for people who deal with food insecurity on an everyday basis. Forget COVID, um, and then all of a sudden you have tens of millions of people who don't have jobs, can't buy food, and that's one of the things here. You know, not only was our fairgrounds involved with it, but um, you know, my wife works at the public schools here in Albuquerque, and. Um, for as, as much as, as APS can be, you know, kind of scratch your head at some of their decisions sometimes while the state and the mayors and the governor and everybody was looking at each other going, Oh, what are you going to do? I don't know. We're, we're, we're closed. What do we, I don't know what you're doing. What are you doing? APS was delivering within a week had delivered like 25,000 meals to kids across the city. And they got to the point where they were like, we don't even care if your kids enrolled, if you've got you know, a fourth grader and a kid that's not in school yet is three years old. Come get, come to one of these pickup spots and we'll give them food. They delivered amazingly and, and uh, wow. that food insecurity. So it's good to hear that you guys were able to do that and, and feed people. It's, um, 
you know, it was really, it, it freaked me out early on when everybody went for the toilet paper. That was like, I didn't get it, but I, but what I stepped back and realized it wasn't about the toilet paper. I don't think it was about that, that herd mentality of panicking. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, being able for our fairgrounds and, and a lot of fairs have talked to me about that. They've were able to provide meals for their communities. Um, I think a lot of people overlook exactly how Im impactful our fairgrounds are because they see our fairs as, you know, 10 days in August. And then they don't see everything else that goes on that you guys do behind the scenes to make their, their community stronger. So you do a ton of things behind the scenes and then March of 2020 rolls around, um, the world changes, you know, March, I think it was March 6th, South by Southwest canceled in Austin. March 11th was the big day for me though. And I think for all of us, that was the day world health declared the pandemic and the Houston livestock show canceled. And I think that was an eye opener when we all saw that Houston canceled, do you remember where you were and what you were feeling when you realized that Houston of all shows canceled? You know, I think you just go, this is real, right? And, and I am a super optimistic person. I am a cup is half full always. Things are going to get better. Um, and even when other managers on our team were like, in March, we're not having a fair if there's no vaccine. Like, you know, people, depending on where you are, people. And, and I thought, how is that even possible? Like, how negative are you, right? I was still at that point. And as time went on and I, you know, were following our numbers and was more and more educated, I think, um, you know, I had that moment of devastation, I think, like many of us in the industry did. And it's like, you know, what is the fit? We, we not all know we work here because we love seeing people together. We love bringing communities together. Um, and I think that's what really drives us. So that realization for me was devastating because I knew as a kid for myself that that was um, a place I could come and feel like just everybody else, the fair, right? My family came to the fair and it didn't matter if we were rich or we were poor, if, you know, it didn't matter. Everyone was just the same and having a good time. And for me, knowing that my community would miss out on that, or, you know, grandma and grandma came to the fair every year and it was her grandson's first year that he was able to come to the fair and they couldn't come. You know, those, those things, even talking about it now gives me the chills. So I think it was, um, but it took me a little bit longer to get there. I guess, yeah. you know, you have your realist and then you have your dreamers and I'm a marketing person. So I'm a little bit more of a dreamer. Well, as, as we say in marketing, you have um, early adopters, late adopters and forced adopters. And uh, <laughs> I would I'm, say I'm, uh, in the, I'm in the ladder. <laughs> yeah, usually with with technology and marketing, you and I are both early adopters. But when it came to accepting this, we were probably on the later end. And accepting it, we eventually had to. I mean, the pandemic rolls on. You say you're optimistic. You're saying to yourself, you know, hey, if we can get something going, maybe we can have the fair. But at some point, you all, your board, everybody has to sit down, I'm guessing on Zoom or something, and make a decision. Um was that a decision that you guys made or was it a decision that came down from the governor? So our, so is interestingly enough, our County, it has been more strict than the state of California. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And so 
that decision was actually made by, I would say we were following along with the, with the health orders, but really um, we had to wait to get word from our county. Um, and we, we knew, right, when you hear about Orange County canceling, when you hear about California State Fair, which is only an hour and a half away from us, you know in your gut that it's coming, but you try to wait it out as long as you can. Um, and we waited it out until about May. So we were, we were still really just slowly moving along in the process. And I think at that point we all knew in our gut, but we really needed to hear something from our county. Um, and I think you, you know it all along, but the day you make that announcement, I don't think anything can prepare you for that. There's a yeah. few things that happened this year that I could have never been prepared for um, in, in terms of being at work. Um, and that was one of them. So describe some of the emotions, if you can, of, of, for you and for your staff that you guys were going through as, you know, maybe not the moment that the decision was made, but like the next day you woke up and went, oh my God, you know, what were you going through at that point? I think we felt, um, I don't want to say beat up, but you know, like you go, uh, the only thing I can describe it to is like, you have a wedding, right? And you have, like, you plan your wedding and you're like up and you're high and your wedding's happening. And then the day after wedding, you're completely exhausted for like three days. Right. That would be, I was, but, but without that excitement, right? There was no excitement building up because we knew we were in a pandemic, but that exhausted feeling, um, and it was like, what are we going to do next? Because the one thing I can say about this team here and, and, um, is that we weren't just going to lay down. We were going to find a way to do something to keep our community engaged. So sure. whether that was, um, for us, we turned to the drive-in model, yeah. but whether that was, you know, inviting high schools to come in and do distance graduations or doing a drive-in movie or doing drive-through. Um, I think we were the first in this area to do the drive-through curbside pickup for, for fair style food. Right. Um, you know, we, we just put our heads together and we were like, what can we do? And I'm telling you, I became so familiar with health orders. Those like, I, I it was like, it was, it, was, it was like Christmas for me when a new health order came out and I could go through it and figure out what could we do. And you sure. should, you mean some of the ideas, Robert, that we came up with for ways to make money were hilarious. I mean, we talk about them now and we just die laughing. We're like, we really thought we could, and we went down that path for well, what? Let's, let's, let's go there. Cause my next question I was going to ask you is with the cancellations and revenue just decimated, were you guys able to find other revenue streams? And what were some of these revenue streams that you kind of laughed at even trying? So I really come from this. I want everybody to, I said to our team, every idea, there's no bad idea. Like, let's talk about all the ideas and then we'll vet them out. So one that landed on my table that we explored, and I, you're going to laugh out loud when you hear it, is somebody came to me and they said, Angel, I have an idea. And I go, okay, tell me, talk to me. Well, I, they, the person commuted and I drive by truck stops every day and the truck stops are closed. And the truck drivers are just parked on the side of the freeway. So what if we were a truck stop? 
And I'm like, that is genius. We could be a trust. <laughs> I'm telling you, COVID's got us going crazy, right? You got the COVID crazies going on with that one. I had the COVID crazies. Okay, I must have had three or four people on my team. Like, okay, are we going to need security? Oh, are we going to need bathrooms? We can't put porta potties out there. I mean, we like we were all in on. <laughs> and how was this going to produce a revenue model exactly? Okay, so finally after about week two, I'm like, you know what? I need a pro forma. I need you guys like to put a pro forma together because I need to, I need to know if this pencils out. Now we're talking security 24 hours. We're talking porta potties. That means we're going to have to sanitize. Um, and so they put the pro forma together. And after at the end of the day, we would have made $15 a day. And we were like, that is dead. And the lesson here is that you should never go down the rabbit hole unless you have a pro forma and you know where you're <laughs> going to land, right? And so that, that was actually our favorite. And we still talk about it. Like, I can't even believe we thought that for a minute could work. <laughs> so some of the things... But, but you explore it. You got to look, you take an idea and then, and you almost have to run down rabbit holes and, and see, you never know which thing that you're going to be like, you'll be presenting at IFE one day next year and, you know, two years and something and, and WFA or whatever. And you're going to say, you people will not believe what we did with a truck stop. You know, you, you got to explore it at least. Oh man, it was good. We've even considered when all the hair salons were closed, but they can open outdoor. We even considered doing and like pop-up tents and outdoor, like renting, putting up pop-ups and renting outdoor space to hairdressers because they had to do dry haircuts. And, and, and that actually, um, we would have explored it further with the exception of, um, quickly after we we went down that rabbit hole they opened back up and they could they could operate themselves Got it. but that one actually was almost pretty lucrative um yeah it could have been because they spend pretty good money to rent those you know rent chairs and whatnot at salons you never know what you mm -hmm. guys might have been able to to generate yeah it was a, it was a decent amount i want to say it was somewhere in the range of like I mean, good, great COVID money, right? COVID money is different than pre-COVID money. But I think it was some somewhere like $20,000 a month we could have generated. It, 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 during COVID, that's amazing. I, you know, I know it, no entertainer in this industry who would not take $20,000 a month. Right? I mean, and it's, it's one thing I really learned too during COVID is, man, we were spoiled. We, we, we started taking some stuff for granted. We got um, soft. And, I think we did we as got, a nation, we, got, we got soft. And well, and we started saying things like, do we really need that show here? You know, do we really need, and now we're like, bring them in, <laughs> call that promoter that we didn't have any space for and, and let's try to get them in. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, we had to, uh, we, we became real humble real quick, which, which I think is a good thing, right? You always have to stay humble and hungry. So, um, then some of the things that we, the rabbit holes that, that really did work is, you know, we, we started to, to toy with the idea of doing a drive-in movie theater um, pop-up. So we were able to partner with a local provider of one of those blow-up, giant blow-up screens. And that's actually been amazing for us. Um, not only did our community love it, but they were, you know, hungry hungry to be together, yep. even if in their own cars. I mean, we sold out of our first movie, I want to say in like two hours. And it was, you know, two hours. How that, many, how many vehicles can you get in for that? 
so each so you can have uh each theater can have 200 vehicles so we had two separate theaters and so about 400 cars um but but our county health order at that time said you could have 200 per event your events only had to be three hours long you couldn't have food within your event so, I mean, I'm telling you, we had to get really, really creative and really think outside of the box. So not only did we sell the movies, we also, um, our team was able to sell sponsorship. And so there were some sponsors out there who had some decent money that they had budgeted that they wanted to spend. Um, one of those was Xfinity. They came back time and time again. Safeway, our local grocery, our, you know, their, their headquarters are here in Pleasanton. And so they did some sponsorships where they handed out candy outside of the movie, right? Because you couldn't hand out concessions inside the movie. We also brought back in some of our fair vendors. But so our movie was, our movie theater was close to another outdoor venue that um, you couldn't have food and the movie together, but they were adjacent. So we were able to set up food vendors in a new event, which was outdoor dining, which was allowed. And so they could walk over to outdoor dining. I mean, it was. Yeah, I mean, you, you to, can't physically restrain them from getting out and walking over to the other dining establishment. Or I don't know if they were going to the restroom. Yeah, it's not your job to figure that out. You have a separate event going on. So we had a separate event going on. And so well played. Really understand when I say understanding the health orders, like you got to understand it and you've got to really, um, you know, we, we had to do separate event files. We worked with our health department. We worked with our county. They were, we were really transparent in what we were trying to accomplish safely. Right. And so they, they were open to it. The, and, and our CEO is always says, um, you know, get comfortable and saying yes. And so the weekend we were opening up our movie theater, we had an outside promoter come in that was a staging company, a production company, and they were looking at doing outdoor driving concerts at another venue. And it fell through because their county wouldn't approve it. Um, and so they said, hey, can we bring it here? So literally like on a Monday, we found out they were coming in. So we had them on separate sides of the property. Um, they brought in tribute bands. They, we and we had to use our ticketing system. So we used our ticketing system. We completely sold out their concert. Um, and, and, you know, just saying yes, got us to now today, we're having this huge artist come in the next few weeks named Cascade. He's a DJ. And he's like the biggest DJ in in the country because apparently his concert three nights here sold out in like an hour. I mean, it's it's impressive. So saying yes in the beginning got us to now being like one of these top venues that can pull off these safe events, you know. And we're super fortunate that we have a team that's always on board. Um, and and when we're talking about earlier, you know what what was difficult this year i mean we laid off i would say 40 percent of our team and that was heartbreaking i mean devastating to to come in and know that you know like i keep saying when when we left on march 16th i never knew that i wouldn't see half of these half of my teammates again 
And that was hard having to call people. I mean, I was crying more than some people on the other end when I had to make the call to them. It was devastating. And I miss them every day that I come to work. I mean, when you walk the halls and it's not the same people anymore. Are you reaching out to those people still and checking on them and making sure they're doing okay? We do. We do. Um, You know, many of them, I'll shoot them a text, you know, how are you doing? You know, we're thinking of you, we miss you, you know, um, you know, are you working yet? You know, cause even when you start looking at what could a fair look like in 2021, it's likely not going to look the same, right? At least here, at least in, at least in our County. Right. Well, and that was, I was going to say, you know, hopefully by the time 21 rolls around, somewhere in the spring, we, you know, things kind of start to get themselves sorted out around the pandemic. But in the meantime, you're still planning for a 21 show from a pandemic in 2020 with, you know, 40% less staff, fewer people on board. How do you go about doing that? Um, So one of the things that we're looking at, you know, we've been looking at it as a 50% perspective on our guest, right? So we normally, we're planning on about 250,000 guests in 2021. Um, And I would say that because, you know, we've, we've been able, and I I didn't even talk about this, Robert, but, you know, we watch our health order very closely. And so we recently last week just held our first indoor shopping market because indoor retail is allowed in our county. So if we can do an indoor retail event, then we can have people in at 50% capacity right now. Sure. So looking at it, we're, we're using that same model for our fair next year. Um, and so, so looking at the fair from that perspective, looking at what we're going to have to change, right? Cause we're going to have to adapt. We'll, we'll likely, we will not be able to have seated venues. So bleachered events, right? Think about amphitheaters think about uh action sports arenas even look at our racetrack what will that look like because um where people stand they call it the apron of the track you know what is that going to look like for next year um and just really planning starting to plan there um looking at what we can do you know are some of the things going to be timed entry are some of the things going to be limited attendance? So last week, an article came out about, I don't know if you saw it, about California theme parks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, I mean, I, I would look at us as a small theme park. I agree. And when you read those numbers, it was a little bit concerning, right? Yep. So how do you work within those numbers? Is it a time slot? Um, luckily, we're pretty close to Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, and I think they're going to be the first theme park in the state to open. Sure. They're outside. And so, you know, taking a trip over there and seeing what that looks like and how they're doing it. Well, um, and you certainly want to do it in such a way that you have to keep your brand in mind. You, what, you know what you normally deliver. And depending on what these restrictions are, then the question becomes, can you deliver something within those, those metrics and those, those boundaries that is, is up to par for your brands? You know, when I was talking to 
um, Linnell Smith from the Sydney Royal Easter show, they talked about um, 50,000 people a day is what they're going to be allowed. They get about 980,000 in their 12 days. And the state, the, I don't know if it's New South Wales or one of their government entities is saying 50,000 people a day. And she's looking at me and looking at things. She's going, that's an idle Tuesday for us. How do you, you know, so their question is, and I think it's one for all of our fairs need to look at is how do you produce a product in 21 that, you know, in a way is going to be a placeholder event and bridging you to 22, but how do you do it without damaging your brand or potentially damaging your brand by under delivering for your audience? That's a really, really great question. Um, some of the things that we're looking at and doing, you know, and, and you're right, right. What is the perceived value, right. For your guests when they show up, because we know what they're used to seeing. And, and even for us, I mean, we talk about it and I think it's hard for us to wrap our brain around it, what that will look like. And, and we're working on layouts already. Um, but, you know, I think our number one priority next year is trying to get to a cashless because that's, the way that we believe um, we will, one of the things that will help us get to the yes to have a fair, right? Is having a cashless environment um, as much as possible. And we've been yeah. pushing to that with our, with our other events, you know, what are all the things we're doing to make this event happen safely? I think in our community, that's going to be the number one thing that happens um, and that people are looking for because even when we go, like when I go to the mall or I go to a flea market, the attendance is still like, there's not even a quarter of the people that used to be there. So Bare as bones. much as there's yet people that want to get out, there are people that, that are still, they don't want to get out. They're still nervous. Um, but I think what we will do is, is we'll continue to provide the best experience possible it might look different um but but you know we're, we're looking at things like challenging our our entertainers to be touchless right we've been a tactile we want to touch things we want to yep. learn and so going to more of a you know you're going to learn through a qr code now by scanning it on your phone and maybe having a video or you're going to be a strolling entertainer now because the strolling entertainer can keep moving and kind of spread the crowd out right. and keep people from gathering around a stage. Yep. Um, so we've I've already been, I've already had that talk with with a fair. Um, you know, they're looking at 21 and they're saying we want to have Conjurer back, the Fortune Machine back. What can you do to be COVID safe? And reluctantly, you know, we're going to put, go ahead and put plexiglass in because the windows have always been open air, um, which part of that is just because it does get so hot, but if we'll, you know, we'll put fans in it and we'll vent it out the top. We'll make some adjustments with the fortune cards where instead of physically handing them to the guests, we're going to install an actual dispenser, just like on the actual fortune machines. So mm -hmm. it'll shoot out the front and you know, I can make sure that whenever I load those in backstage that, you know, I put gloves on just to make sure that they're as absolutely as clean as I can make them. Um, and even then I've still had fairs go float some other ideas and say, but could you do this with the fortune machine? And some of these ideas have been a little eye-opening where I'm like, are you out of your mind? But then I, when they say, can you do this? I'm like, yep. Don't know how I got nine I'll months to figure it nine, out, you know, nine or 10 months to figure it out. 
Um, and I'm just excited because this is forcing innovation. I've already spoken to a lot of fairs that, you know, for years have done the, well, we always do it that way kind of mentality. And it's really easy. You know, something gets work works nicely. It's easy to get comfortable, but what if you change something and it, you know, increased your attendance by 17%, even though if, even if it's a little uncomfortable to do it that way, what, you know, I think this is an opportunity that for all of us in the industry to go, okay, this is what's been comfortable, but how can we make it better? But also such an opportunity, right? Absolutely. Such an opportunity. I mean, if you think about the cashless model, that's just one tiny piece of it, right? You, the cashless model is, you know, one, you're not touching money, but also there's some upside to revenue that I don't really need to get into here. We all know, we all know what that upside is. I don't have to say it. So there's some upside to revenue. There's also some up, it creates opportunity for, I feel like all of our entertainers, like, like you're saying to think outside of the box, it creates. Even though I work in a box. Yeah. You work in a box, (laughs) but before you get in it, you got to think outside of it. Um, But we're even looking at, you know, we know we probably can't use our amphitheater, but we're looking at that concert model where we have this huge grass area and putting it in a little, um, those boxes. Did you see that concert in the UK where they had like, so we're looking at doing something. I found it completely ridiculous, but if it's what we've got to do for 18 months or something to make sure we still have events survive, let's go for it. And I think that's the point, like, right, we're going to do what we have to do so that the show can go on. And it's super interesting. We even have had promoter come in and a promoter came in. He lived up north where their rules aren't as strict as ours. And he came down and he didn't have a mask on. And I'm like, uh, I brought in a mask because I knew you wouldn't have a mask because I knew the drill. And he was like, this is ridiculous. You know, in my county. And I said, I, I totally get how it is in the wild, wild west. And I honestly hate the mask too. But if it's what we have to do to be in business, yep. we will do it. Yep. Because it, when you the day that we did the indoor shopping market last week, it felt normal, first of all. It felt different, but normal. Robert, I walked in that building and I literally started crying because to get to do what we had to do to get to that day, to be able to open our doors and see, you know, we hear that the seniors are the most vulnerable. And so many seniors came out to that event in their mask with their push, um, their, their push carts. What do you call that thing? I don't know. You know, it's like a walker. walker. It's like a little push walker. walker. Yeah. They came out with a walker. I mean, we had people here and it was, I mean, I literally cried because I'm like, this is why we're here. This is why we do what we do. When, when a daughter and her mother and her grandmother are all shopping together at that event once a year, this is why we do it. And if I have to wash if I have to have somebody scrub down every single restroom stall, every single time, one, they're employed, two, we have vendors staying in our community in hotels, right? That's putting back money into our economy and putting yep. hotel workers back to work. We have our parking attendants working. We have our food vendors making money. You know, it, it, it was probably the best thing that's happened all year at work. Well, you 
are you sharing that, uh, you know, within your content? That's because I wanted to ask you, you, with you handling handling social media marketing so well, um, what kind of content are you guys putting out? Are you telling these stories while mm-hmm. this is going on? Yeah, we definitely tell the stories because, you know, we feel like part of what we do here is um, we've got to drive people in. And granted, you know, in the beginning, we did take a little bit of heat. People would say things like, we can't believe you're doing a drive-in movie. Some, not many, but some. Um, And one, we had a lot of people say, okay, it's physically distanced. People are wearing masks. We had a lot of media coverage um, and a lot of coverage on how to do things safe. Um, So we are definitely sharing everything on social. We are definitely sending out press releases. Uh, We're working with our local media. You know, everything we can to say things can be done safely. Because at the end of the day, if we as an organization can bring people together in a safe manner, why not? This is what we live for is being together and communing. Right. And I've just, I've seen it so much, um, you know, outside of work or even the people that are still here and hearing the stories that people's children are going through because they're in their rooms 12 hours a day in high school, doing homework and studying for SATs and filling out call a college apps. If they can come here and sit in their car and watch Greece and be happy, then no, I think it's vital. I, mm-hmm. I'm absolutely with you on that. And that's, as, you know, like I say, as reluctant as I am to modify my act, you know, I spent a lot of years figuring out exactly what this attraction is. And then COVID was like, change it. And if that's what I've got to do, I mean, I live for making people happy. You know, I live for that moment where I hand out a fortune card. And as the next person comes up to the box, I catch out of the corner of my eye, you know, the young woman who was just there taking a selfie with that fortune card because something on the back of it meant something to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, That is what fills me. And so if that means I got to make some modifications to the act or like you guys, you know, I don't think uh, a year ago, if anybody, if you'd gone in and sat down at a meeting and said, Oh, I think we need to do a drive-in movie. I, I don't think people would have really taken you real seriously. And now all of a sudden you go, actually, this is a real thing. And who knows, maybe after the fact, it becomes a real bigger thing. You know, maybe it becomes something where it becomes an annual event for you. Yeah, guys. it's, it's been super fun. One of the funnest events we do, um, one of the funnest events we did, we did this year is we do a, um, we have a partner that comes in and does, it's called Pirates of Emerson. And it's at Halloween time. And they do this haunted scare. Oh my God, I'll have to send you a video of myself walking through it in the daytime once. I was terrified. And so they, um, I mean, they're pirates and scary. They have all full makeup, jump out at you. It's horror. I mean, they're touching you. It's crazy. And so they came to us and said, we want to do a drive-through. And we're like, there's no way these guys are going to be able to pull it off. Right. They have been sold out every single night. And they did it. it. They did it. And I am just so proud of the people who stretch themselves to think outside of the box. You know, there are some that won't do it. And there are some that, that the survival kicks in, you know, the resilience kicks in and that makes you go, hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, it's been a, it's just been a struggle for folks this year and seeing some of that resilience 
Um, you know, I don't think necessarily adversity is what defines us. I think our resilience in the face of adversity is what defines us. Um, but I know there's a lot of folks out there who really have struggled this year, our friends, our family. And speaking of family, uh, you're married. Yes. Yes. And kids. I have three sons, three sons. I'm pretty lucky. How's family doing with all this? How are the kids handling this stress from 2020? You know, I've been super lucky. A few years ago, my husband had this crazy idea. So I thought to build this gym in our garage, my husband loves to work out. So he's been collecting weights for years. Who would have known that we were going to be in a pandemic? And that gym has been our family saving grace. I mean, it really has. Um, And our kids, you know, my husband luckily um, got a new job during the pandemic. So things are going great for him. My oldest son graduated college and got a job during the pandemic. Um, And so things are going well for him. We have a middle, our 21-year-old is in online college now. So that, um, you know, he logs in every day and and goes to college and our 16 year old, you know, he plays sports. And so I think I talked about him playing football and he plays basketball. Well, in in California, um, football, it didn't get canceled. It got shifted from a fall sport to a winter sport. So they will not start playing football until January. And then they will play basketball in the spring. Um, So I think his ability to have that, to look forward to has helped, but you know, we have all had our up and down days, every single one of us in our house, you know, and, and especially, you know, you have, you don't just have the pandemic, but you have a series of events that have happened in our, in our country over, over this year. And it hits different people in our house at different stages, um, at different times. And so I always just try to remember, um, you know, we're all struggling. And then you have the the people that are still here that come to work. You know, you don't know what those people are going through with their kids, unless they share it. And some do, and some don't. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen it at your own house, right? When everyone's trying to be on zoom at the same time, or, you know, your son's younger, he needs help with schooling. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's had its challenges, but at the end of the day, I keep telling myself, how, and we say this as a family, how lucky are we that one, we haven't all killed each other <laughs> and two, that, that with adult kids, cause everyone's home at our house right now, we'll never get the chance to be together like this as a family again. And so, you know, well, you sure hope not. I mean, not in this fashion, let's be honest. Family yeah, time is great, but this is uh this is kind of a crazy way to get family time. It is crazy. And, you know, we, we've laughed, we've cried, we've played games, we've TikToked. My, my youngest son and I are kind of addicted to TikTok. So I was going to ask you about that. You know, in the middle of this whole pandemic, being social media people, you know, some information came out about TikTok and it being a little, tied a little too closely to the uh, Chinese government. And, and President Trump decides, I don't, I don't know how the heck he's going to do this, that he's going to go ahead and shut TikTok down. Being a social media person what do you think about that so so one I was like someone's gonna buy it right obviously someone's gonna buy it and who ended up buying it um I don't know I heard Microsoft was in for a minute and then they didn't buy I don't know Microsoft is out somebody else 
somebody else bought them, I think from California, but so it sketched. So I love TikTok, but it did sketch me out a little bit because it really learns your behavior. Yes. Right. It's more, almost so, more so than Facebook does. It's crazy. And so at one point I thought I was being listened to and I had to delete it. I mean, I'm telling you COVID's crazy, right? I started losing it a little bit. I'm like, maybe they are listening to me. I have this weird thing that keeps popping up on my phone. And so I deleted it and then I got it back because I love dancing. And so I had to go there to learn the dances. Right. And, um, but I think TikTok is a pretty cool concept for all things. So I do not believe TikTok is, is just for youth. I mean, I, you could learn how to start your own drop shipping business. You can learn how to get into the real estate business. You could learn how to um, get the best deal on lease cars. You can yep. learn about people who have um, just met their parents for the first time. I mean, if you TikTok has yeah. cooking, they have everything. You want to know the irony in all this? I was saying years ago that fairs should figure out how to do like musically you know, that app musically dance competitions or whatever, singing competitions. And they all looked at me like, what the heck is musically? And then, you know, three years later, they were like, do we do TikTok? And I'm like, well, TikTok was musically. They got bought and, and shifted and rebranded. And you totally said that. And I remember it. I call it. I call it. I'm a little, uh, you know, I put it out on our marketing group. I, I don't, I don't endorse TikTok anymore, at least not to the extent that I'm not sure exactly how involved the communist government is with it. And I think given the, the geopolitical situation of our world, I think that's a concern. At the same time here, I am still endorsing, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whatnot. And then every time we turn around, Zucks and, and Jack Dorsey and all these guys are, are playing games. So I'm just like, they're, they're in a mess. You know, we've allowed them to police themselves and I don't know how well they've done it. But at the right. same time, I still know that from a marketing standpoint, Facebook's ad product is still the greatest ad product that's ever been created. And I I, frankly, I'd rather have Mark Zuckerberg know my personal information than communist China. Well, and, and I will say this. I think that whether we believe it or not, as long as we're carrying around a smartphone, somebody has our information. Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, you talk about a boat and all of a sudden you're getting ads for boats wherever you are. Right. Yeah. And it's not just on your phone, but it's now on your computer because your phone's tied to your computer. Yep. So, you know, if we, if we think for a second that, that we're not being heard, we're lying to ourselves. Oh no. I was a, a couple, a month or so back. Um, I was talking to Sarah and I said, you know, babe, I've been in the fair industry a long time and I don't own a pair of boots. I feel like I should get a pair of boots. And she's looking at me like, you've been a jeans and tennis shoes guy your entire life. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm not going to go all, you know, Wranglers and cowboy hat, but I feel like I should get a pair of boots. And she's like, well, maybe you can go to, you know, boot barn or something and, you know, or, or, you know, text somebody, text cafe or somebody and see what they think about boots. So, okay. I hadn't even texted. I hadn't said anything publicly. All of a sudden I log into, into Facebook and sure as hell, there's an ad for boot barn. Boot barn. I'm like, that's some spooky stuff. But, you know, I watched that, that documentary on, on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Have you seen it yet? Not yet. You I want to watch it. You should see it. And here's where I'm at. A couple of things. My stance on social media. I don't think social media changed our behavior. I think it exposed it. 
I think, I think if you were a decent, kind human being to begin with, social media were, will expand that reach of your kindness. I think if you were a jackass to begin with and, and you were rude and awful to people, then it makes, it expands you being a jackass. Um, and then as far as, oh my God, they're all listening. They're all listening. You know, if I happen to have a conversation, um, with my wife and say, oh, you know, Hey babe, don't forget to add toothpaste to the grocery list. And then the next time I log into Amazon, it says, Hey, here's a sale on toothpaste. I'm down with it. If that makes my life, I don't care because that's ultimately up to me, whether I say yay or nay. Um, but I do have real concerns with the, with the political ramifications of, of not only, not only fake news um, because that, and that's not, I know that Trump kind of coined that as a whole, Oh, fake news, fake news. But, um, and there are other, you know, you got Russian um, bot farms that just go into Twitter and just their bot accounts, their fake accounts, and they just destroy conversation. My concern around social is that, without realizing it, that, that algorithm is putting us in massive eco chambers, only reflecting back our own ideas. And so I think part of the reason we are so defensive and so divided as a country is because we're building these eco chambers where, you know, somebody's convinced that Amy Coney Barrett is the, is the devil incarnate and they get in that eco chamber in that cycle and it convinces them that all hell is breaking loose and, and everything that wrong, wrong with the world is, is coming to fruition. And on the same side, you know, when you're on the right wing side of things, you get in that eco chamber and you're convinced that every Democrat is just the evil enemy and we have to, it, it just pits us against each other. I think that's where we need to be real cautious on social media and the content that we're putting out. I would be, I, I, I totally agree with you. And that was actually... I think you articulated it very well. That was the reason I walked away from TikTok because I found out that I was getting like, it easily learns what you quickly learns what you watch. And so I'm a sucker for a good sob story, right? So someone's on there and they have their sob story. And like, if you watch one sob story, it just keeps pulling up all the sob stories, right? Because sure. it filters that. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not seeing any more fun dancers. I'm seeing all the sad stuff. And then I was like, okay, I don't want to be sad. You know what I mean? It, it, it puts it, you in a loop. You get stuck in that in loop. A bubble, a bubble and it doesn't. And, and so I agree with you a hundred percent. I just didn't think of it that way. And that was really the reason and I got a little bit nervous because it was learning it so quickly. So that yep. was why I got rid of TikTok. Well, and in the in the social dilemma in that documentary on Netflix, and you know anybody who's interested in in social media or who is a marketing person, I highly recommend it. Um, they give the example of how Facebook's algorithm or Twitter's algorithm, you know, the ad product can actually be used against us. Where you know we think about it from our standpoint of okay. You, we want to produce a piece of content that shows how, you know, seniors would enjoy the fair. And we want to, we want only seniors to see that we can do that. You know, we're going to have a country music concert. So we want to target only people that are country music fans. We can do that. But what happens, and this is what they, they pose in the, in the documentary. What happens when you have some a nefarious government say that wants to sow, um, you know, division amongst people. 
And so they go to, they find a, a room, a chat group or something, a Facebook group that promotes white nationalism or promotes, um, you know, racism or promotes um, some sort of hot button issue. Mm-hmm. The algorithm with the ad product, you could literally go in and say, I'm going to create this news article. It could be complete nonsense. It can be totally fake but I want a hundred people that look like this white supremacist group or I want a thousand or I want 10,000 or I want a hundred thousand people that look like this to see it. And then all of a sudden, before you realize it uh, now it's propagating out throughout the system because they're now using it to target and stir people up and get people angry about what's going on. Even if those things aren't really going on. Are they still, I'm wondering, cause I haven't seen the movie. So now I'm going to, or the, it is a documentary. Yeah. So I th- I'm, I'm going to go watch it because recently when I've been doing ad buys, it, there are certain questions it asks, like there it's, it's, is this political? Is this, you know, sure. um, financial there, there's these, um, almost like you have to get certain categories approved, but I'd ha- yeah, I'd have to, I definitely want to see it so I can understand that a little bit better. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me, and they've got, um, you know, they've. It's not like they've just got. This isn't just somebody who's just some documentarian giving his opinion. You know, they've got former heads of advertising for Google, former head of marketing for Facebook. For I mean, they've got people who were on the inside who know what those programs and algorithms are like. Um, I, I think social media is a thing we need to be very careful with. I think it is. There's so much good that comes out of it. Um, but it's going to show you what you ultimately, what you want to see. That's why, you know, I was, I was worried, um, for my buddy coffee Anderson, who's got, um, his new show coming out on Netflix next week on November the 6th called country ever after. And that was all announced at the same time that cutie show that cuties documentary or whatever came out that everyone was so angry about with, you know, young girls and, and sexual exploitation of young girls and whatnot. And people started mass canceling their Netflix subscriptions. And, you know, I just remember thinking if people only realized if you you're talking about it so much, the algorithm is seeing picking up key terms, Netflix cuties, and they're pushing that more. So the algorithm is now saying, Oh, this is a popular thing. The algorithm is not distinguishing that the algorithm doesn't have a moral compass. It sees, it sees key terms, it's a computer. It sees key terms and it responds to those key terms. And all you got to do, instead of talking about it, go into Netflix and just give it a thumbs down and let them, and then let the algorithm work it out. Um, But I was worried for coffee. I'm like, Oh my God, all these people that, are really, you know, they're coming from a, a wholesome family background and they're canceling Netflix because they're concerned about this documentary. And I'm like, they're literally going to leave a great family, wholesome family friendly show like Coffee's Country Ever After. And they're going to leave that on the table over this one. All you got to do is just quit talking about it. And we've, we've even in our, the fair industry have been our own worst enemies with this sometimes. You know, every now and then you get some with these animal rights people that go do some sting operation where they set up a fake video on a farm someplace. Well, if you look at who's talking about it, a lot of times it's us because we're reactive to it. It probably, you know, PETA puts it out or humane society puts it out. 
we react to it. We talk about it. We share it with our friends and go, this is an awful video. But again, the algorithm does not it. have a moral compass. The algorithm goes, oh, this video got shared. I'm going to show it to more people that that Angel is friends with, that Robert is friends with. And it propagates it. The best thing, and I've said this for years, the best thing to do when one of those videos comes across, click the three little dots and tell it hide posts like this or show fewer posts. Because then it tells the algorithm, you don't like that post. Well, you, and you know what's, you know, to your point, it's the more energy we give it. It's so hard for people to walk away, Robert. I mean, it have is. you not noticed that? It's so hard oh, no. for and the, to just walk away. You're absolutely right. And the social dilemma touches on that because they've literally, they have the ability, Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, all of them, these major tech companies, they can, without you even realizing it, they can A-B test thousands of different color combinations on buy buttons, ad buttons, everything to figure out what gives you the little hit of dopamine that makes you react. It makes you click. And makes you click. And one of the things I did, this was about a month ago, I was getting so overwhelmed on my phone because it felt like every... 10 seconds, every two minutes, there was a notification popping in. I would get in a, a banner notification. Oh, someone commented on your photo. And of course they don't tell you what the comment is. And so you have to click it to look, go into the, and look, and then it's just a thumbs up and you're like, oh, I wasted my time. But it gives you that little hit of dopamine. Like you used to get when you were a kid and you were like, oh, I got mail. You open the mailbox, physical mailbox, you know, for you youngsters listening, this, there was a time when we had stamps and things like that. Yeah. But you got this hit of like, oh, I, you know. And so what I did about a month ago was other than my texts or my actual phone app, I went in and every application on my phone, I turned off all notifications for. There's no banner pop-ups. There's no little red flags and numbers sitting on the app on the home screen. The only way, like for Facebook, the only way I know that I got something is if I go log into it and look for something. The only way I know if I got an email now is the once, or, instead of 25 times a day, it's the once or twice a day that I look at it. And I got to tell you what, I find myself with a lot more time during the day to get things done. Isn't that incredible? I mean, yep. seriously. And I don't miss, I don't miss anything. I mean, when I'm, you know, when I'm bored and I'm kicking around, I'm sitting on the couch, I'll flip through Facebook, but I don't have, it's what, ch what changes is, I flip through it for five minutes and I'm like, all right, I'm good. And I set the phone down, but then I don't get a notification 10 seconds later to pick it back up. Yep. The ding. Oh, I always hate it when I forget to turn off. I, um, the ding is on, on my phone, yep. you know, the ringer and I, I'm always sleep at night and then I hear it and I'm like, dang it. I forgot to turn that off. And if do so, you, now do you sleep with your phone in your room or is it out in the, I do because I have young adults. Right. Oh, so when you have young adults and people aren't home, you got to make sure that, you know, they've got a lifeline if they need you. Safe. Yeah. You know, somebody needs a, luckily the, the two adults, adults take Ubers home if they really need me, <laughs> if they really need. Right. Some. It's a 16 year right. old. I haven't <laughs> quite, I haven't quite gotten to getting the phone off of my nightstand yet. Um, and I think that's mainly because the alarm on it, I can customize the, the alarm tone. So it's a soft one instead of like the typical alarm you get where it's just jarring. Yes. But I might, I think over this winter, I might work on that and figure out how do I get my phone out to the, out to the, 
the kitchen or something, living room, the office overnight, you know, Sarah and I don't even have a television in our bedroom. And we planned that specifically because we didn't want a screen in our bedroom. Well, now we don't have one screen in our bedroom. We've got three because we got two phones and an iPad. And I'm like, we, we didn't not have a TV because of the size of the screen. We didn't want the screen period. So we got to figure out a way to work that out. But anyhow, uh, we got a little off topic there, but still good discussion. Highly, good. highly recommend anybody who's into social media or into marketing in this industry that you watch the social dilemma. Um, it's, it's, uh, it definitely is worth con- worthy of conversation. Uh, we're about out of time, Angel, but before you go, everybody who comes on the show, we do a little speed round of questions with. Fun. So I'll ask you five or six questions and uh, you give me your answer. You ready? I guess. First question. What's your favorite thing about the fair? My favorite thing about the fair is corn dogs. Uh, well, the, one of the other questions was corn dogs or turkey legs. So you answered that one. If I open your music app right now, which song will have been played the most? Oh, that's a good one. But I, people aren't going to know who this is, but I would say, um, tell me when to go by E40. You probably don't even know who E40 is. He's a Bay Area rapper. And yeah, are you Bay into rap? Area are you are you big into rap music? Like who's no. your favorite rapper? Come on now, you're you are a gangster at heart. You are all about the rap. What's up? So so I I am a a, a gangster at heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I recently got a Volvo, and that's not very gangster. So, um, my favorite rapper, I would say, is probably. You know what? This is not going to be popular, but I love Ice Cube and Dr. Dre, but I love them on their first. I, I, I loved the NWA. Early yeah, the early stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm old, though. I mean, I'm no, old. I agree. I grew up listening to rap. I mean, I was 13 listening to like Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, and I had no clue what the lyrics were. And I'm glad my mom never heard them either, because I would have been in trouble. Well, you know, it's funny. So my kids tell me I still never know what the lyrics are. So, and and if we want to take it really back, I would say run DMC. I mean, like I was a kid when they first came out for sure. But when I, when I listen to stuff and I'm like, Oh my gosh, my, my boys make fun of me. Cause they're like, come on, mom. Like you didn't know it said that. I'm like, I had no idea. Cause I just like to dance. So I like anything I can dance to. Right. So well, okay, Sorry. so we I, I totally blew the speed run there because we started talking more, but yeah. let's finish it up. Three more questions. Okay. Coffee or tea? I think it Coffee. would be Abraham Lincoln. You can go back in time to and one was your who was your first celebrity you? crush? John Travolta. <laughs> Fair. Fair. I'm so old. <laughs> Angel Moore is the marketing director for the Alameda County Fair in Pleasanton, California. Angel. Uh, it's been a privilege to have you on the show. If folks in the industry want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? They can actually, this is, I, I, I'm not going to put my phone number out there, but if you email yeah. me at a more M O O R E at Alameda County fair.com, I will reply to you. And my mobile phone number will be in the reply. And you <laughs> yeah, can don't, text you don't want to just, you just, you don't want to put cell numbers necessarily out on this show. Angel, I had, uh, I had a lot of fun having this conversation with you. I'm sorry we don't get to see each other at conventions this year, uh, but just know that um, all of us at our family are wishing your family the best for this holiday season. Thanks for coming thank, on the show. Thank you so much for having me, and please say hi to Sarah and Nate for me. I will do that. 
You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.